Good. It's good to see you all. I've been praying for you this week. Um, and we're going to jump right in today. Who remembers, who remembers the game? Or like maybe you... Um, I know like some of you didn't grow up in the church and, and that's okay. And those of you that did will know what sword drills are. Who knows what sword drills are? Okay, so yeah, if you... Uh, Sword drills are like the Christian Super Bowl, okay? Like if you, they're like Sunday school Super Bowl. Um, so I'm going to just warn you right now that if you are, if you're like a sword drill person, like they just live and die by your sword drills, you're going to love this message today, okay? Because we're going to be all over the place in the scripture. Um, we're not, there's not, not any one um, particular scripture that we're going to be working our way through, um, but um, we'll, we'll be able to practice. My uh, youth leader always called it the, the, our flipping fingers, and we always snickered about it um, because we had another idea about what a flipping finger was. But you can, uh, you can practice with your flipping fingers to, to find the appropriate scripture uh, as, we, as we explore God's word today. Um, so where, where have we been? Well, the last uh, today and the last two weeks, we've been exploring or kind of revisiting um, our mission, our vision, and our core values here at Conduit. And we've been kind of talking about them similar to the way that during the Christmas season, we talk about the wise men following the North Star, right? And that star was a constant in the sky. And it, uh, it allowed them to remain focused on the direction that they were Moving when maybe the circumstances around them would have wanted them to move in a different direction or to another to another place, right? And uh, there are many things that can function as our north star. Now, obviously, as part of our core values and what I've always told you, and you know this, that um, the foundation of all that we do here is Jesus Christ and the and the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus. It has the power to change everything. We're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. Um, but these three kind of the, the mission statement, the vision statement that we talked about last week and today our core values serve kind of organizationally and spiritually as our North Star to ensure, right, that we don't, that we as a community of faith do not lose focus on who God has called us to be and what God has called us to do, okay? Um, and so, like I guess the first week we talked about our mission uh, to live like Jesus, to love like Jesus, to serve like Jesus. Last week we talked about our vision statement, uh, which is to bring wholeness or to see wholeness and redemption in our homes, churches, and cities. And then we went through a couple things. I would encourage you to go back in the, on our um, the YouTube channel or the podcast or your app or wherever you like to listen to things and re-listen to those messages if you weren't here or you uh, want to re-familiarize yourself to that. Today we're going to be talking about our core values, okay? We have five core values here at Conduit, and um, the first is like a discussion about what a, core, what a core value is, and as trying to define and distinguish what the difference between a core value is and like our mission and vision statement, we're kind of got to use this, um, this uh, running understanding, I should say, that core values are like the DNA to the life of the church, right? If you break off any piece of the body, and examine it, you, you will find um, that it holds, or they should hold, most of these core values. What do I mean like that? Well, if you were to, you know, cut off my finger, right, and send it to, send it to a lab, right, 
they would be able to examine that the DNA uh, belongs to me, right? Just like if you were to cut off my foot and also send it, they, the, the DNA, right? This is a weird example, okay? okay. Um, all right, I, I'm reading the room, I'm tracking with you, right? But it's, it's all I could, could come up with in a week that I had to prep, all right? Uh, <laughs> But the reality remains the same, right? Is you could, you could cut off this piece and you could cut off that piece, and even though they're very different, right, they are made of the same basic elements. They contain the same DNA. You'll be able to link them back to me as a person. And, and our core values are the same. You should be able to see these core values as the DNA portions of Conduit Kids or the children's ministry. You should be able to see them as part of our small group ministry. You should be able to see them in men's ministry and women's ministry. You should be able to see them in hospitality. You should be able to see them in the safety and security. You should be able to see them everywhere. They should be, they should be the intricate or inner parts of all that we do. And if they don't, then something, something is misaligned there. It's also important, um, it's also important to make this distinction, is that core, our core values are not something that we are like striving to reach or be about. Core values are intrinsic to who we are. They're not something that we're striving for, not something that we are trying to attain, but something that we already are, and that's why they are core. They're not a goal. They're not a vision. They're like, if we're not doing it, if you're not seeing it in every part, then there's nothing core about it to who we are. Okay? Um, and so we are, we are ruthlessly committed to these. Uh, I'm, sure that you will, I'm sure that you know that. I'm sure that you will hear that um, you know, throughout the life of the church. But um, without further ado, you know most of these if you uh, are a part of this community, but we'll remind ourselves the five core values. Number one, Jesus is at the center of all that we do. The good news of Jesus has the power to change everything in our lives. You see, we have this, we have this really radical, kind of harebrained idea that the gospel of Jesus Christ really does change everything for all eternity, for everyone, everywhere, no matter what. And we really do believe that, that the gospel is the answer to every single problem that ails humanity. And it's not something that we're afraid to admit. And it's not the foundation that we're afraid to stand on. Like, well, what's the answer to this very large problem? What's the answer to this very small problem? Well, the answer is the gospel. Well, that can't actually be it. You no, know, actually it can. And we really deeply and truly believe that. And so we orient our life, the practicality of our life and community, as well as our belief, our faith, our worship, our doctrine, our discipline around the idea that Jesus is at the center of all that we do. Because we believe that the scripture describes Jesus at the center of even all of creation and all of eternity. And so what could possibly be different for us? This is who we are. Number two. Raising up disciples who follow Jesus is the primary task of the church. Raising up disciples who follow Jesus is the primary task of the church. If there's one task, if there's one like checklist, if there's one che like thing that we should be doing, it would be to be raising people up so that they become disciples or followers who live like Jesus, love like Jesus, 
serve like Jesus, whose lives are consistently being transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. Number three, the best place to experience life change is in a community of people living out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Meaning that as we talk about the task of raising up disciples of Jesus Christ, we have to also talk about the environment in which that happens. It's not just a because we have the task, but what, what is the environment? What is the, what is the context? What is the, what is the place? And the, the place is Christian community, gospel-centered community, the best place to experience life change is in a community of people living out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number four, God has a mission to redeem the world and has commissioned the church to be on the front lines. It can, it can sometimes become um, tempting to um, use a type of phrasing that describes the church as having a mission, right? We got a goal, and so we've, we've set that goal, and now what we're going to do is we are going to assault the throne of heaven with every passionate prayer that we possibly can in order to ask God to bless the thing that we have decided is important for us to do. And while, while it, it may take an understanding of like some splitting or splitting some hairs or nuancing things a little bit. What we must understand is that is that the mission of wholeness and redemption in the world is not ours. We did not come up with it. We did, we did not craft an idea to go out there and redeem the world and ask God to say, "Hey God, we got this great idea. We need your help." It's actually the opposite, right? God has set within the fabric of, of eternity a desire to redeem to himself, to reconcile to himself every man, woman, and child through the blood of Jesus Christ. We are the bearers of that message. We are the carriers of that message. We take the gospel of Jesus Christ to a hurting, broken, and sinful world but it's not our idea, it's his. God has a mission that he has asked the church to be on the front lines of, of, of implementing, not the other way around. Fifth and finally, we as a community, as a community of faith here at Conduit, we are willing to embrace creative and unconventional methods to bring, Jesus, to bring people closer to Jesus Christ. I think most people, most people know that about us has kind of become a, a distinctive part of who we are, and it's not about being, trying to be trendy. It's not trying to be cutting edge. It's not really trying to be anything other than understanding that short of sin, we will do nearly anything in order to bring those who are far away from Jesus closer to him. And so we will embrace every creative or unconventional method to get hurting people to the one who can heal them. 
And we're not afraid to admit that. I'm not afraid to, we're not afraid to be, to be seen as crazy. And we're not afraid to fail. We're not afraid, we're not afraid to, spend, to, to spend money and resources and time and, 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 and people energy in order to do things that bring people even, that move the needle even one tick towards people being redeemed through the gospel of Jesus. Those are our five core values. And we want them to be the DNA that runs through absolutely every, every ministry, every mission, every program, every group, every leader, absolutely everything. Now, there's so much that we could talk about here. Um, and... Um, I have been I have been praying I have been thra- praying through uh, this idea and this process for quite some time and um, asking the Lord okay in this series you know like where where's our focus with each one of these as we normally do and um, and so I know that over you know that there there is often I will say both some um, misunderstanding but also a lot of hurt, personal hurt, associated with communities of faith. Hurt, hurt that is wrapped up in and housed in relationships that people have with the church. Okay? Um, and, you know, I've been a, a pastor, like, pushing two decades now. Um... I've seen, that's a, <laughs> ask me why I'm so gray. Um, uh, and I've, you know, it's been a, it's been a huge part of my a, a, adult life, right? And, and so I understand as well, as well as anyone, the, um, the significant hurt that can be wrapped up in or associated with church. And I do want to be able to address that, okay? I do want to be able to, to speak to that. Um, I do want to um, have a pastoral response to that. But I also believe that, there's, that there is room for and a necessity for good theology and understanding of what the church is and what the church is not um, so that we can begin to frame and ask the Holy Spirit of God to transform our hearts, our minds, our our affections and passions and beliefs about what the church is and what the church isn't and how Scripture talks about the church and, 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 um, and, and ultimately what God thinks of the church. Uh, because all of those things are incredibly important. So our number, third, our, our number three core, core value um, kind of speaks, speaks to... Number three and number four kind of both speak to the, the nature and the necessity of the church. Number three, for instance, the best place to experience life change is in a community of people living out the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and, and what happens often is that um, in, in a moment of hurt or in a moment of crisis or in a moment of chaos, there, we, we tend to shrink back from the things that we need the most. And I'm not just talking about spiritually, but I'm talking about in all of life. Right? That there is a that there is almost a reflexive, responsive like um, isolation that keeps everything in. Where in scripture we see that 
that the, the, the Christian life is always and forever lived in the midst of community. No matter how messy, no matter how chaotic, no matter how hurtful it ends up being, that the scripture always comes back to this, always comes back to the necessity of what it calls the saints, or the community, or the faith, or the church. Never a, never a you know what, you're right. You've been very, very hurt. Things have not gone in the con- it, things have not gone at your church like you thought that they should or would or wanted them to be. So it's okay to leave the church forever, to walk away from it, be close to Jesus, but stay but stay away from the church. And we will just, you know, the Holy Spirit saying we will just go on this journey of of faithfulness and transformation and repentance and forgiveness. All just just the two of us. We don't see it, and it's not healthy. And I'm here to tell you that even though that that, that may be the, 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 the safe place of retreat that you have gone to, and I understand it, right? I, I, want, you to, I want you to hear my heart for you this morning that it's not healthy, okay? Um, and we'll, I want to talk, we'll talk a little bit more about hurt at the end of the message this morning, right? But I, I do want to paint... I do want to be able to, to paint the biblical picture of the way in which Scripture talks about the church in many different ways, because it doesn't just talk about it unilaterally or with one metaphor or with one idea. It's actually very, um, there's a variety of ways in which Scripture talks about the church. We see the word church, we don't actually see, we only see the word church technically in one place in the New Testament. It's not a word that is used a lot, at least in the Greek when we see the word church, or when we say the word church, the question is, well, what do we actually mean? What do we mean? Because most of us say, well, I'm going to get up on Sunday morning and I'm going to go to church. And what you mean is you're going to come to 120 Delaware Avenue in Jamestown, New York, right? Or you're, if you're visiting with us, you're going to go to wherever your church, the building is, or the location is, or the place is. When, um, when New Testament writers used um, this idea in Scripture, they almost always, at least in the New Testament, using the word Greek, used a word um, that's pronounced ekklesia. And the word ekklesia, in its most literal definition, was um, about calling a group of people out and making them distinctive from the rest around them. It was a holiness term. And it actually came... Um, it actually came on the heels of uh, a Hebrew word that the Jews used um, that meant the assembly of the Lord. And so when New Testament writers would speak about the church and they would use this word, ecclesia, they weren't speaking about a place, a physical place that you would go to on a Sunday morning or any morning in particular. Rather, they were talking about a group of people that was called out with a specific identity or purpose um, apart from the rest of the world or culture or society or however you want to describe that. It was not primarily um, a location where they met, but it was meant to identify the ecclesia or the church was identify who, whose the people were who they belonged to, who they were about. It was not a where question. It was a who question. 
Who are these people? They are the called out ones. They are the assembly of the Lord. They are the people who gather, yes, maybe at locations here and there and everywhere, but they are certainly not defined by the location that they meet. They are defined by the reason that they meet, and that reason has always been Jesus. That reason was always Jesus. It was always about expressing their faith in Jesus amongst the world around them. And as Christian history and tradition was developed then, like scripture writers began to speak, those, those, in, uh, those um, writers in the New Testament began to speak regarding the ecclesia, the community of people, the called out people of faith. So I want to uh, open up by okay, sword drills, right? You ready? Draw your swords. We'll do this once. Yeah, no digital swords, not approved. Uh, it's a nerf, yeah. Digital swords, not approved, right? Draw your swords, ready? First Peter 2, 9. First Peter 2, 9. Yeah, you stand up when you get it, charge. All you people who didn't grow up in the church would be like, man, I knew Christians were weird. <laughs> You're right, we are. Uh, Bryce Dieter. Bryce was the first one. Uh, okay, Bryce, no, Bryce, read it out loud. You stood up, you got it. First Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Thank you, Bryce. All right. So, one of the first, one of the primary metaphors that Scripture uses to describe the community of faith or the church is the nation or the people of God. And as Bryce read here, um, we see that uh, Peter declares this, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. It's a fantastic scripture that describes this relationship that we have to the Father, but also our purpose, that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. The people of God declared or described as the nation or the people of God is also described in Revelation. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. And this one in, particularly, in particular drives to, the, drives to the heart of the reality that, hey, if you look around you within this room, even if you look around you in this room, you will realize something. We are not all the same. We come from different backgrounds. We come from different lives. We come from different places in the world. We have different, like, we have different um, histories of faith, right? We are all not the same. And a part of the beauty of this nation of God is that we represent a fantastic diversity in the family of God. So Revelation, what's our Revelation chapter 
5. And they sing a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased from God persons, or you purchased for God persons from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. Paul also talks about this idea in Galatians chapter 3 that in Jesus Christ there is no, there is no Jew or Greek, there is no slave nor free, there is no male nor female, but we are all one in Christ, that, that through our faith in Jesus Christ, we have been welcomed into the family of God, not based on, we are not gathered together based on our, the monolithic nature of who we are, but we are gathered together. The community of God is brought together and made one as one, as one nation, right, based on our faith in Jesus Christ and our life in him and nothing else. So, metaphor number one is we are a nation. The church is a nation of God. Number two is we are a family of God. We are the family of God. A few scriptures that help us to root this out. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Starting in verse 17 and 18. We'll have all of these up on the screen for us if we move kind of fast. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing. I touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you. You will be my sons, and you will be my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Obviously, the the theme of God being our father within Scripture is not one um, that is foreign to us. But we are called the sons and the daughters of God. Another uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. We are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Family of God, no longer strangers, no longer aliens, but now we are members of God's household. Together, we are the family, your brothers and sisters. Maybe one of the primary um, metaphors that we see within the Scripture to describe the, the, the church or the called out community is the the body of Christ, right? We often refer to ourselves in this way. We are the, we are the body of Jesus Christ. Many, um, many different scriptures de- declare this. Um, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 through 23 is, um, is, is one of those. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. The church is, church is described as the body of Jesus Christ. And he is, the, he is the head. In a similar fashion, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, we see this as um, Paul talks about the, 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 um, uh, the, 
distribution of spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 13. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. And so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. He goes on to say later in verse 27, Now you, you Corinthian church, you people gathered at Conduit Ministries, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you has a part in it. Perhaps one of the most intimate, um, one of the most uh, intimate and deeply like, um, deeply, I guess we just call it deeply intimate metaphors in Scripture is that uh, the church is described as the bride of Jesus Christ. We see in 2 Corinthians here um, some of these allusions. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Paul, in speaking about false apostles, says, I hope you will put up with a little of my foolishness. Amen. Hope you'll put up with a little bit of my foolishness. But you, you are already doing that. Verse 2, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you. Paul's speaking to the church at Corinth and when she helped plant. He's like, I am jealous to you. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I may present you as a pure virgin to him. Now, Paul began to Paul began to use this analogy of the church as a, a bride, a bride upon which is presented to the groom on the the wedding day, um, prepared to live in intimacy for all of eternity. In Ephesians chapter five, Paul continues this metaphor. Of course, he. Um, speaks about it in the context of relationships between wives and husbands as well. He said, Husbands, love your wives. Verse, uh, Ephesians 5, starting at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ has loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy and cleansing, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And after all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about... Christ and the church. Very significant, very deep, probably deeper than, definitely deeper than we have opportunity to unpack this morning. Nevertheless, um, Scripture speaking very um, intimately and deeply about the relationship between Jesus and the church, that he longs for her, serves her, desires to, to wed her. Finally, 
the fifth and final uh, metaphor that we're going to um, explore this morning before we move on is that um, the, the church is described as the temple of or the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, that it is the it is the place the community is the place upon which the Holy Spirit of God um, both descends, dwells, rests, and moves. We see this, of course, in the Acts of Pentecost in Acts chapter two. We see it also described by Paul in Ephesians chapter two, verses nineteen through twenty-two. Paul says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. And finally, probably the one that uh, you're most familiar with in terms of um, the, the idea of the church being, or the idea of it being the temple of the Holy Spirit is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Now, this is, maybe often been uh, described or even uh, uh, admittedly we're going to talk about hurt, church hurt here in a minute but like uh, we, we can we can often use um, uh, scripture in very hurtful ways as well and I, I've been I've been at the hands I think everyone has been at the hands of people um, using scripture as a lever against them to either get them to do something that they didn't want to do or make them feel guilt or shame over something and and while we believe the Holy Spirit of God does use the Word of God uh, to affect conviction in our hearts and to turn us in repentance and forgiveness and wholeness and redemption towards Jesus Christ, we don't believe that the Word of God is used as a tool to beat people into shameful submission for what they've done or not done. However, oftentimes, you know, um, Scripture's like, well, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? You put that donut down right now. And while I understand the sentiment, like, listen, donuts, they're off limits, okay? You don't mess with, don't mess with my donuts. I'm gonna be eating the donuts, right? But also, let's, let's take scripture at face value as well. Let's understand it for what it is and what it's not, okay? And Paul was writing this letter in 1 Corinthians, not to an individual person to give them individual myself discipleship right he was writing it to the to the community of faith that he found at Corinth he was writing it to the church and so when he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 16 and 17 don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple that and that God's spirit lives in you if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is sacred, and you are that temple. Sometimes we say, well, I am, I am a, the Word of God says that I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. Well, I am not going to stand up here and 
uh, argue with the theological nuances that are, that are there, because I believe that the Holy Spirit dwells and lives within us, certainly, understand that the context of what Paul is writing is just like, hey, the church is the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. The community of faith is the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. The gathered community of faith under Jesus Christ is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. The whole context of what Paul writes here is not to the individual, but it is to the community in which is receiving it. And so when he says something like, if anyone destroys God's temple, is he talking about, hey, if anyone like knocks me in the face? Right? No, he's talking about like, hey, if anyone, if anyone seeks to destroy the temple or dwelling place of the Holy Spirit of God, the gathered community of of faith, then they have someone to answer to, and it's God himself. This is often, um, this is often what, speaking candidly for a moment, um, this is often what elicits a fairly, I wouldn't, um, I, I always ask the Lord to, as a pastor, to help me to not ever be aggressive, to always be gentle and patient and kind, right? But if, if any form of aggression is ever elicited in a response from me, it's usually, right? It's usually when, um, there, um, there is a, like, there's open disdain or hatred or tearing down of the church. And it comes from a place of one, being being deeply grieved at the hurt, right? That the that 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 person is 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 experiencing, and then def- and then reflecting back onto the church. But it also comes comes at this like idea of like okay, <laughs> um, I need to understand like what we see in Scripture, the way in which the church is described, and the way in which. God the Father and Jesus Christ relate to them, and the Holy Spirit, obviously we saw metaphors for all of them, relate to the church. We see, we see the church being called the family of God. We see the church being called um, the bride, the body of Christ. We see the church calling the bride of Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'll just take one example, right? The bride of Christ. I don't know about I don't know about you. I don't know about guys that you're married if you're married, you know, like um my bride is very special to me. My my bride is very very special to me. And and um regardless of the con regardless of the conduct of the bride, if someone attacks my bride, they incur my anger. Right? Because my bride is my bride. <laughs> and Scripture describes the church as the bride of Jesus Christ. And so when you, when you attack the bride of Jesus Christ, beware that you may be incurring the anger of the groom. Because despite, its, despite her faults, despite her mistakes, despite her sins, Despite all of her misgivings, right? Jesus is still coming back to wed her. And 
And God, and God, God Himself, in, or in, in Scripture, God, God Himself, right? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. That's, that's powerful. And not mincing words type of language there. For God's temple is sacred. And you are that temple. Now, if I had to title this sermon, which I'm, I'm a very bad sermon titler, um, I would just call it In Defense of the Church. But I want to talk, as promised, for a moment about church hurt. Can we talk about church hurt? Right? You all know what I mean when I say church hurt. You've been hurt in a church before. You've been hurt maybe by a church before. You've, um, you've experienced pain in the context of church before. I have, okay? Been there all the time, all right? Experienced pain in that, in that context, all right? And I want you to know that the pain that you've experienced and the brokenness that maybe has existed in your relationship with churches or communities of faith in the past, that I see it and I see you, and I hear it, and I know it, and I hold it with you in prayer, and I want to offer it to the Lord in prayer for its healing, for your benefit, and for your even your relationship with Jesus and your relationship with others. I don't, I don't discount the hurt that you've experienced. I don't discount the pain. I'm not saying it's not important. I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm not saying you just have to forget about it. I'm not saying any of those things. What I want to do is I want us to be aware of what's at stake. And I also want to be able to draw a framework around how we address the hurt that we've experienced in churches and the importance of the church in the eternal spiritual realm. That all Because, because I think, can we all come to an agreement and say like, it's very clear in Scripture that God, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit is very passionate about the church. And so, and so even saying things like, I hate the church. I love Jesus, but I hate the church. It's like not a statement that Jesus is super impressed with. It'd be like someone being telling me, I hate your wife, but I like you. <laughs> well, bro, we ain't on good standing. You know, it doesn't make me feel better. Okay? Um, so I want to I, I wanna be able to create a framework of what happens when we have experienced hurt. Because we can't, we can't by nature and virtue of how precious and important and foundational the church is in Scripture and to God Himself, we can't just fully throw the baby out with the bathwater. We can't discount and discard, discard the importance of the thing that is so important to God. That is the community of God. We must begin to see the church 
um, properly, correctly, and rightly. It is not some it is not some bastion or example of Holy Spirit perfection. Well, I, w- I went to church, and you think that the one place that you would be safe from getting hurt by people would be the church. Why? Why would you? Why would we think that? I don't know. You can look around the room, and I don't know what you see, but I see a bunch of people. And and people can be hurtful. And people can be damaging. And people can do people can can do things that cause pain and and cause injury, right? And so and so when we when we come to the church with the perspective of that this is the place where where like God's presence resides, and it is the body and the bride of Christ. Therefore, nothing bad or negative will happen. And if it does happen, then I'm walking away from it because it's not supposed to be that way. There is no promise in Scripture that your participation in Christian community is going to make you immune from hurt that happens within the same community. You see, if we think of the church only as some like um, general organization that meets at a specific location at a specific time every week, then we might rightly be able to say, the church has hurt me. That thing over there, that place over there, that organization has hurt me. But if you will allow me to speak gently but firmly to you this morning, I will say, um, saying that the church has hurt you is a distraction from the enemy towards your healing. You have been hurt by a person. You have been hurt by people. You have been hurt by individuals. Maybe you've been hurt by a small group. Maybe you've been hurt by a pastor. Maybe you've been hurt by a ministry leader. You, you have most definitely been hurt within the context of Christian community. But listen, it wasn't the church that hurt you. It was a person that hurt you. It was persons that hurt you. And when people hurt us, right, when, when we do not pursue some form of healing, some form of forgiveness, some form, form of wholeness or redemption or reconciliation in relationship with another person, we will always carry around the scars and wounding of being hurt. And we may incorrectly we may incorrectly associate that with, well, the church hurt me. And therefore, I'm walking away from the church. Jesus doesn't want you to walk away from the church because Jesus believes that the context of your healing, the context of your transformation, is in the same community that you may have gotten hurt in. 
Because when we are hurt by people, we can only be healed through people, with people. When we have been hurt in relationship, we can only be healed in relationship. And church hurt is people hurt. And if you are willing, and if you personally are willing, and we as a community are communally willing to embrace a process of forgiveness and peace in order for life not to be one trauma-filled royal rumble all the time, then we will begin to experience healing and wholeness in a place where maybe we've only ever experienced hurt and brokenness before. But you must be willing you must be willing to see it for what it is. Because sometimes it is... E- Listen, I could write a book about how this has been like the reality of my own life, okay? Sometimes it is so much easier to walk away from the place that we were hurt than look at it straight in the face and saying, as a measure of the Holy Spirit's work in my life, I desire to work through a process of forgiveness, reconciliation, and peace. And if we are willing to do that, rather than taking the route of like run as fast as you can, and then like just tear down the name of the bride of Jesus Christ on the way out the door, then you will begin to experience the like abundant life in Jesus Christ that is in the context of Christian community. And I believe that. The reason I believe it is because I've experienced it. And I could and I, I'm not I, I don't find it a prideful exercise at all to say that I have worked exceptionally hard on um process of reconciliation and peace and forgiveness with relationship, my my relationships with other Christians in church in order to ensure that I do not become jaded about being in the church and being like, you know what, I'm sick, I'm done with it. Forget it, I'm out of here. It's not worth it, right? Because that's not us. Because this is who Jesus is here to save. This is who Jesus is here to wed. This is the place where the Holy Spirit dwells. But like, you and me, you and me, you and me, you and me, we may have some issues and we need to work through them. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us a pathway to forgiveness and redemption and that we can actually do that by a mutual faith in Jesus Christ to extend grace and forgiveness when it is needed and when we've been hurt. And I guess what it comes down to here at the end is I want, I want you to know um, that um, I think, we think here at Conduit, that the church is incredibly important and doesn't need to be culturally deconstructed in any way. <laughs> But it, but it, but it may need a fresh falling of the Holy Spirit to help remind us of who we are.
It's not just a job that you leave when you're sick of the person that you work next to. It's a community that you embrace out of mutual faith in Jesus Christ that can transform your life. And I think that we are blessed. I, I, I'm looking out in the crowd. I know I could pull 30 of you up here to give, like, to, to testify to the transformative and healing power of community and what, and what the Holy Spirit is doing in your heart and your life via your relationships by faith in Jesus Christ, even in this room. I know I could do that because I hear them all the time and I'm a part of them and I see them, right? And I believe that, that in, in faithfulness, in faithfulness to the idea that the church belongs to Jesus Christ, that we continue to, we continue to pursue the, the, um, the heart of that relationship, that we will see that more and more and more and more. I'm going to pray for us as the worship team comes back up. We have, I think, three, three, three more, um, three more opportunities, three more songs that we're going to be worshiping to this morning. Um, I've said this once before. I think I said this a few weeks ago, but, um, Understand that when I'm done preaching, all right, and I begin to pray, um, what I'm not offering is a helpful transition from one element of worship to the next where the band can get up here without anyone seeing them or anything like that, right? Uh, it's, not a, this is, it's not a performance. There's no pomp and circumstance, right? Um, but listen, you just, you just received the Word of God, Okay? The Holy Spirit now wants to take that word and, and wants to travel with it to, to the deepest parts of who you are and wants to use the word of God in the presence of the Spirit right, to, to transform you, to begin to give you new passion and affection, to, ch- to change your mind, to form your emotions, to bring you into... Um, relationship with the whole with the with the father through Jesus Christ. And so when we pray when I pray now I pray um I pray like that the holy that, that that's what the holy spirit would do and that then we may respond to the work of the lord in our lives through worship because that's what it is, right? He he gives to us out of the goodness of his word and the presence of his holy spirit we respond in a spirit and attitude of, of gratitude and worship to Him who is worthy of our praise. And that is the purpose of, what, of this. It's the purpose of this, right? This is the purpose of this. So allow me to pray over you. So why don't we stand? And allow me to pray over you. Heavenly and gracious Father, we have heard from your word we have heard from your word and we pray Lord that your Holy Spirit would take your word down into the deepest parts of who we are Lord and we begin a process of transformation Lord where, Father, we have no other option 
like our soul just screams in worship for you, Lord. And may that worship be manifested in this place this morning, Lord, and may it be pleasing to you. Father, develop in us the same passion and love and affection for one another and this community that you have for your church. In Jesus' name, amen.